Today on Circle Back, the most important meal of the day. And the signature side on a Southern-style plate. Three generations. Hogs, hard work, and a well-kept secret. I'm Larry Odom, uh, former CEO and chairman, president of Tennessee Pride Sausage. And uh, I'm just glad to be here. Take home a package of Tennessee Pride. From the Chase Studio at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center, this is Circle Back, where we trace the life cycle of the startup from bright idea to big payoff. I'm your host, Clark Buckner. You hear that? It's the sizzle of sausage in the skillet. And if you're from the South, there's a good chance it was Tennessee Pride Country Sausage on your breakfast table. The story starts... Over in the Germantown area of Nashville. Well, my grandfather, uh, Douglas uh, Odom Sr., he uh, was actually in a family of what I call old meatheads, and, uh, and that was in a, a good way. His dad uh, was a meat cutter. His brother was a meat cutter. Uh, and it goes on generations back. When he first got started, um, he was buying, in this particular case, a hog already killed, and they were chilled, and he would buy them and then break them down, if you will, into the cuts to sell, be it bacon, be it pork chops or ham or whatever else. And so uh, that's what they did was basically break down the animal uh, into the cuts for the folks uh, to buy. You know, there's fat and lean pieces that come off of these cuts when you're butchering the animal, so you gotta do something with that. Well, traditionally, butchers made sausage with that. And so, you know, that's kinda how all this got started. He was very much kind of an experimenter. He experimented with different seasonings and would try them out on friends, say, hey, how do you like this? <laughs> so uh, that's kind of how he got started, uh, moving from just the meat, the butcher side of the business to actually the sausage side of the business. And that business started full-time in 1943. I know my grandmother was vitally involved in that process. I know anytime we spoke anywhere uh, about the sausage business and getting it started, if anybody would say, well, your father started the business, my dad would correct them really quick and say, my mother and dad were very instrumental in starting the business. My grandmother, she would sew the bags that they'd stuff the sausage in. Back in those days, they were cloth. They were cloth bags. Probably most of them ended up being kind of a light, tanned, brownish sort of color. And uh, you could buy them already made, or I guess you could make your own. 
And the girls, my, my twin aunts, uh, they had small hands, so their job was to turn it inside, you know, to turn it from inside out so that uh, they could stuff the sausage. The old car that they had, they'd take the back seat out of it, you know, except on weekends, take the back seat out, and that was the transportation to get it from their facility, which was a little locker-type facility uh, there in Madison, and uh, take it to market. It was selling by day, slaughtering by night. What they did is they had to take the hogs and actually chill them. You had to, in those days, you had to chill them down before you cut them up. So the processing was done pretty much during the evening hours. Um, and the years later, back probably in the 60s, we started into hot boning, and that's a different, uh, different process altogether. My grandfather uh, started with a $1,000 loan from a friend. And that was how he bought his first equipment that he needed to manufacture sausage. And so he started with that and then paid the gentleman back over a period of whatever time it took at so many cents per pound, uh, he paid the guy back. And while Doug Odom was making quite a name for himself in the sausage business, the brand name would soon be born. His vision uh, was something that people could take pride in serving. And so, you know, naturally, Tennessee, pride. And that's kind of how that got started. It was originally Odom Sausage. Uh, and so it had a little pig up there on the, on the label. Uh, it didn't have the farm boy in those very early days. Now here's Tennessee Pride Farm Boy. Picture this, a marketing man from Central Casting. Mustache, a handlebar mustache, smoked a big cigar. And a mascot who endures to this day. Well, she drew the sketch of just her rendition of the farm boy, and then the ad advertising agency, which we had here, kind of brought him to life. Take home a package of Tennessee Pride. <laughs> In the 1950s, Larry's Aunt Judy sketched a little boy in overalls with a cane pole. The first farm boy, which was our mascot, if you will, uh, our trademark, that was first drawn by my aunt. So uh, it was all a, pretty much a family affair at those particular days. We wanted to have something that was kind of if you will, catchy, something that people could remember. They might not remember Odom all the time, but they remember that farm boy and they remember Tennessee Pride, the association there. And then the advertising agency, which we had here, Culbertson and King, kind of brought him to life. Uh, Bill Culbertson, if you just kind of imagine for a minute what uh, a marketing guy or an advertising guy might look like. I mean, this guy drove uh, an Electra 225 with white interior, convertible top, 
He had a mustache, a handlebar mustache, smoked a big cigar, and was bald-headed. But he was the one that was responsible for really taking that and bringing him to life. Culbertson would add a jingle to the mix that turned out to be a bona fide earworm. You know, he talked about the secret of the secret of the recipe, and he talks about add a dash of X and a pinch of Z, and for flavor and taste, you add Y9D. And so put this all together and blend all three. It's the secret of the secret recipe. Wait, what's Y9D? It's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. It was just part of the song. And they had to identify something catchy. They weren't going to say, you know, put a, some salt in there and some pepper in there and whatever else. They, they kind of took liberty there and uh, called it these three things. So just, just kind of a clever way to do that. There was a secret recipe. I mean, there was only one person that knew anything about the seasoning uh, for our sausage outside the family. Later, we were having the uh, seasonings manufactured for us. Nobody knew who they were making the seasoning for. They knew it by number. And so they would put these seasonings together, and until it got to the end of the line that was outside the processing area, would an actual label go on there that identified that as Tennessee Pride Mile, for an example. The 60s brought a sea change to Tennessee Pride, a new meat processing method that would bust new markets wide open. Back in the days when you were just wrapping product uh, in parchment and putting it in a grocery store, the shelf life of that product would have been a week, maybe a little more than that. You had to put it in new, pick up what wasn't selling and that sort of thing, and get rid of it. But what happened, along with the advertising uh, that we've already talked about, was a shift in how you packaged and processed the product. We moved from what I call a cold meat processing to a hot meat processing. And so what that did was allow the product to go from uh, actual slaughter of the animal to uh, the production side or putting it all together within an hour, hour and a half. I mean, we could go from killing the hog to having it frozen and ready to go out the door uh, in an hour and a half. The hot bone process, it was a cleaner process. You were seasoning it warm. Uh, You were getting it into that package quickly, so there was less opportunity for bacteria. And so your shelf life just exploded from, you know, just days to weeks, maybe even a couple of months in some cases. And so uh, that enabled us to go from state inspection to federally inspected plants where we could go across state lines. Uh, Not only could we sell to other states, we also went into the food service business where we sold to restaurants, hotels, that sort of thing. And our business exploded. I know uh, a lot of people don't realize, uh, for us, we had two government inspectors in our plants all the time. We had one that was on the kill floor inspecting every 
single animal. And that had to pass that inspection before the animal could go through and actually to the boning table to get uh, processed. They were kind of the watchdogs over the quality. And so they could make us better. But our goal, I know our goal, uh, you know, when I was involved uh, with the quality assurance and whatnot, for us, that was the minimum standard that we required. We wanted our quality, our control of weights and flavor and all of the components of putting that product together. We wanted it to be better than what the USDA required. In the 60s, I would say, uh, we were looking for ways that we could, uh, you know, market the brand to a wider audience. And so um, we started an affiliation with the Grand Ole Opry, along with Martha White. So basically, uh, I think we kind of split the segment, if you will. So in other words, part of the show was sponsored by Martha White, and part of it was sponsored by Tennessee Pride. It's country as can be. That was our audience, if you will. Those were the folks that were buying sausage. And so that was who we wanted to market to. Back in the day, you know, dad went to work, mom didn't. You know, when mom started going to work, uh, then they needed something a little bit fast. So that's where the sausage and biscuits, the prefabricated sausage and biscuits, the handheld sandwiches and that sort of thing, where they really came into their own was for convenience. If you were talking about uh, handheld sandwiches like sausage and biscuits and things like that, we would have been the second largest in the country. Innovation was part of success. But if you pardon the slaughterhouse pun, sausage was a cutthroat business. And the Odom family had lots of competitors. Jimmy Dean was probably uh, what I call the big gorilla uh, in the market as far as uh, pork sausage goes. He was the uh, face of the business. You know, he passed away several years ago now, though they keep uh, resurrecting him for their advertisements. (laughs) I'm Jimmy Dean, and uh, I wish I could tell you how I feel about a morning like this. It's kind of interesting how they do that. Sarah Lee did a wonderful job of uh, taking that uh, brand and really just pushing it uh, out there. Our first encounter with a Sara Lee brand would have probably been Rudy Sausage Company, which was a local here in Nashville. Uh, we were in the Neely's Bend area, and they were in the Pennington Bend area of the Cumberland River. But uh, I know my dad, uh, uh, my dad had great relationship with the competitors. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, they were oftentimes uh, officers in the same, you know, like meat organizations like the Tennessee Independent Meat Packers Association. The second generation had solidified a brand, tailored it to an eager crowd, and worked hard. 
I can still remember my dad going in, uh, even as a boy, I remembered him going in at 4, 4.30 in the morning, and in some cases, not even being home for supper till 7 or 7.30 in the evening. Larry's dad and uncle put in the hours, but held back on the pressure to follow in their footsteps. You know, it was certainly not for everybody, but uh, he encouraged me to do what I wanted to do. So it was my decision to come in. And so he said, well, if you're going to come into the business, you're going to get experiences all throughout this business. By the time Larry Odom took in the reins in the 1990s, he had done it all. So I went from uh, sales for a couple of years or so, and then I went, came in and started working with the uh, quality assurance uh, and did that for a number of years, was a plant manager at our Kentucky plant for like three years. I was really at each one of the plants a lot because I had people under me that were operating in each of the facilities. And then uh, I came back into the office as executive vice president. So I had all of the uh, manufacturing and all the quality assurance and that sort of thing under my tutelage, if you will. I self-imposed a lot of uh, my own pressure, I guess, uh, uh, on myself. I like to excel, and so I wanted to achieve it on my own. I know when I was in sales, in food service sales, there were customers out there that didn't even know that I was an Odom for the first couple of years uh, because I never introduced uh, myself as Larry Odom of Odom's Tennessee Pride Sausage. It was always Tennessee Pride, and I'm Larry Odom, and a lot of them didn't even make the connection. And that's the way I kind of wanted it. Uh, I wanted to earn the business, earn my right to be where I was. Tennessee Pride diversified. And we branched out into different things like chicken and biscuit, sausage, egg and cheese biscuit, and, you know, the sausage biscuit, the sandwiches, you know, the larger, more like a hamburger-type sandwich. Even tried catfish for a minute. We end up buying a small processor in uh, Arkansas. And not only did they have, they were raising catfish on a small scale, they were also processing. And so we took that and kind of ran with that for a while until we kind of determined it was sort of like a black hole for money. There was a lot that got consumed, got drug in, if you will, in the black hole but it didn't offer much coming out the other end in the way of profits. My name's Tom Woodard. Raised my own hogs and used to make my own sausage. Don't do it anymore, not since I ate some Tennessee Pride. Tennessee Pride's got the best flavor I've tasted since I stopped making my own. Real country flavored, like they talk about on TV. Y'all try some for yourself and see how good it is. We thought about selling probably several times. We thought, let's get us with a banker and let's kind of run this up the flagpole and see if there's anybody that'll salute. (laughs) Well, we did this uh, once or twice earlier on, and it it just never felt right. Never felt right. We didn't see the numbers come in like we thought they ought to come in. But we, every time that we did this, we learned that really what we needed to do, even though we were a privately held business, was to run the business like we were not. But that day would come, and so would an opportunity to right a family wrong. My grandfather uh, was pretty controlling. 
Basically, a little old school, I think, where the men ran businesses, and maybe in that time, women did not so much. And so uh, my dad and my uncle kind of looked at that situation and kind of thought that it might be an unfair situation uh, for them. So they basically put together another branch of our business, and uh, my two aunts got to participate in that, uh, which uh, they, they did well. They did well. And that was the way they could participate in the business and not necessarily be in the sausage portion of the business. Remember, that second generation of Odoms had always given credit to their mom. It wasn't that my grandfather necessarily, you know, lifted my grandmother up on the pedestal as being co-creator of the brand. and It was my dad. My dad and uncle both felt very strongly because they saw what she put into the business and the, what she gave as being such a major contribution to that early success that they wanted her to get as much credit as he got. In a moment, a buyer comes calling for Tennessee Pride. They came to us. We didn't go to them. Conagra Foods is one of the leading packaged food companies in North America. We didn't go out and stick our lure in the water hoping that we might catch a bass, you know. Conagra Foods, food you love. I want to take a quick moment and invite you to listen to one of our new shows, Twin Day. It's all about rethinking entrepreneurship. In Kiswahili, Twin Day means let's go. And it's our rally cry here at the EC for founders of color. This show shares the name with our statewide program dedicated to leveling the playing field for black and Latinx founders. We'll bring in guests to engage in open and honest conversations with incredible black and Latinx business experts, investors, and other successful founders located throughout Tennessee and other parts of the United States. In each episode, you'll hear from successful founders and entrepreneurial innovators of color who take the time to circle back to share peaks and valleys of their journeys. We'll also illuminate the hurdles and opportunities that exist within the larger world of startups, venture capital, and business more broadly. Join us and get the latest updates at ec.co slash twindaypodcast. Now, back to the show. Is there ever a right time to sell a successful family business? In 2012, after nearly 70 years, Odom's Tennessee Pride was at least willing to listen. The question I had to ask myself, uh, do I want to be in my mid-70s before someone would even be ready to get ready <laughs> to take over the business? Because the process of me going through the chairs, if you will, of different portions of the business, started in 1974 and went all the way into the 90s. So, I mean, for 20 years. So, I mean, I could have probably onboarded someone in the family that could have actually taken over the business and, and run with it. But that talent had not 
begun to emerge at that particular time. Just outside Chicago, our Naperville, Illinois office is home to many of our consumer foods brands, including Chef Boyardee, Egg Beaters, Pam, Hebrew National, Hunts, Ready Whip, and Swiss Miss. Ultimately, ConAgra was the one uh, we chose to go with. I mean, they had at that particular time 70 plus brands. And I thought, my goodness, who better to grow the Tennessee Pride brand than somebody that has brands that they're growing already? We met with them a multitude of times. They had a very bright kind of a millennial feel to them in some respects. Uh, it's a lot of young, very highly educated, very smart young people, and they had a few old-timers in there mixed in, which kind of made us more comfortable. It was a nice price, and it was a good multiple for us, and uh, it just felt like, okay, this, this sounds like the time. It just looks like a good time to go ahead and, and get out of the business. All the sweat equity that was put into the business was by so many folks. We had 800 employees, roughly, when we sold the business, and I'm telling you, I could not put together a better group of people. More than 300 people could soon be out of a job. ConAgra Foods announced that it will be closing the Tennessee Pride Sausage Factory in Dixon. In 2021, there was a big move that took Tennessee Pride sausage making 92 miles west to Jackson. What was kind of the painful part of this for me is at the end of the day, I don't think they highly valued what we knew. I think uh, when they looked at the business, they thought they had everything figured out. Well, you know, you're not in the business for almost 70 years and be just totally dumb to how you got there. And so uh, I could see a lot of mistakes that they probably made along the way after they bought the company, which uh, saddened me. I just don't think they did as much with the brand as they could have. And the brand was pretty darn profitable brand for them, but their decisions would have been entirely different from mine. It's going to be an empty building. It's going to be sad. There were a very few folks that lasted probably more than a year with them that belonged to our original organization. One of the you know, real lessons for me out of this is that once the sack of money passes across from one side of the table to the other, I'm not sure that very many care what you think anymore. Oh, yeah. Listen to this. You can still take home a package of Tennessee Pride. And yes, the farm boy is on the label, at least in silhouette. As for Larry Odom, he has no regrets and still has an appetite for the food that made his family famous. So we have it in our freezer, have it in the fridge all the time. Actually, tonight, we are having Tennessee Pride sausage casserole, and we're going to eat it for dinner. Just remember the name, it's Tennessee Pride. Hey, come! 
You've been listening to Circle Back. To subscribe, visit ec.co slash circle back and follow, rate, and review the show anywhere you get your podcasts. Circle Back is made possible by the generous support of the Beth and Randy Chase family. Also, thank you to our media partner, Nashville Post. Keep your pulse on all things Nashville business and more by subscribing to their newsletter at nashvillepost.com. And a shout out to our friends at Lightning 100 for supporting the show. A big thanks to our team from our creator and executive producer, Greg Allen. Script writing by Demetria Kaladimos. And a big thank you to the rest of the EC staff. I'm Clark Buckner, and we'll see you soon on another episode of Circle Back.